Welcome to episode what I think is 13 of Man Buns and Jesus. Uh, if you're watching, this is That's Pastor Josh. If you're listening, this is also Pastor Josh, but just his voice. And my co-host over there is <laughs> Pastor Ben Olschlager, who has a different voice than usual today. What are we talking yeah. about today, Ben? Uh, uh, despite the fact that I'm a little sick, we're not going to talk illness. Um, I think we did and I that nailed last. it. It is episode 13. <laughs> Nice. Now, this week, um, we are going to talk about pastors, uh, what they're for, what they're not for, um, what their responsibilities are, what are some of the, like, you know, false assumptions about what pastors do and don't do. Um, and, uh, yeah, going to preface this with one example that I that comes up as a joke frequently in, in pastors meetings I'm a part of. Um, if you ever tell your pastor that they should have plenty of time for things because they only work one day a week, Sunday mornings, um, your pastor will be strongly resisting the temptation to punch you in the throat. Um, Sunday mornings are a big part of what we do as pastors, but it is not the be all end all. And uh, that's what we're going to dive into this morning. So Josh, uh, I, I this topic up. What, where did your head go? And I now see that you want to respond to what I just brought up. Well, I, I just want to add on a little bit. Like Sundays aren't even, they're probably not even the majority of where I spend my time. Like if you were to do a pie chart, and I'm counting preparation for Sunday. I don't think you'd hit a majority of my time on just anyway. So there's that. Um, I got told something to that effect uh, right after I finished October. And in the month of October, I averaged 70, no, yeah, 71 hours a week working. So hearing that Pretty soon after October, you're 100% right. It took some restraint right there to not. Uh... Anyway, Lay down. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so when I come, when you bring up, you know, what what is a pastor? What is our responsibility? Um, I think and, and you mentioned it a couple of times, but the first thing that comes to mind for me is what one of our systems profs would say. Um, he would say something along the lines of absolution, man, which is kind of, I don't think is super helpful. Like, even for me, it's like, okay. Um, but if, if that's a if, really cheap Marvel superhero, right? That's the, I don't know. Um, but what kind of diving into what that is, I guess, the, the core central responsibility of, um, at least what I view of my call as a pastor um, is to make sure people know that they are forgiven and loved by God. Okay, so that's a, that's a core, like that, if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job. There are a lot of other things around the job that if, if I miss them one week, you know, maybe it's not ideal, but I'm not a failure as a pastor. If I miss that one, we messed up. 
Um, but something that uh, this same professor talked about, um, because he, he spent a lot of time in, in talking about what pastoral leadership should look like, is um, to guide people to follow Christ and to make godly decisions. So if you're going to like force me to nail down what, what really is my job, my job is to make sure people know how they stand with God because of what Christ Jesus has done for them. Um, but then a, a very closely following second part is guiding them in um, really in what the practical application is for their life. And you can call that education. You can call that discipleship. You can call that sanctification. Like you can call it any number of things, but the reality is um, those I think are the core roles of the pastor, which I think you can very quickly see like that spirals out into uh, uh, just a myriad other things mm-hmm. but those are the two things that like at the end of the day if i'm accomplishing those i'm at peace with my with living out my vocation appropriately mm-hmm. i think it's as as i was thinking about this a little bit um my my head went to a part of our ordination vows or installation vows are both depending on i don't know if you had both how to come up in both services or not but um, we vow that we are going to do our best to present those people under our care fully mature in christ on the judgment day um and so like there's obviously two pieces there one in christ and two fully mature and i think that kind of um even more succinctly talks to what you you were just talking about there and you know it's not just something that like as part of our job description we've we've made this oath before god to say that hey this is the heart of what we do as pastors right Um, like there there are to my knowledge two oaths like actual vows i have made before god in my life and those are my ordination vows and my marriage vows. <laughs> so like if, if yeah. you're looking for, well, what, what is the seriousness of the ordination? Like that's, that's how seriously we take it. It's, um, it's very similarly in how life-changing it is and how much it impacts, I think, everything you do in our, so mm-hmm. sorry for interrupting you there, but. No, that, that's, um, so off of that definition, though, um, let's talk about something, some of the things that pastors do get pulled into. Um, the, these days, there seems to be a lot uh, expected of pastors um, in addition to kind of those roles of making sure that our, our congregations are in Christ and that they are growing in their maturity uh, in Christ. Um, just off the top of my head, as, as a relatively young pastor, uh, some of the things that I, I see frequently thrown on my plate are uh, a lot of strategic planning stuff, uh, IT-related stuff, um, youth stuff, uh, young adult stuff, um, you know, the, those are kind of like things that people just assume, oh, naturally you're going to be good at this. 
um, because Which, you're clearly they haven't met a lot of our classmates because no offense. I love, I love them all, <laughs> but a lot of our classmates are technologically incompetent. <laughs> ben and I worked in the, at the Concordia seminaries uh, help desk for two mm-hmm. years. And some of the calls we got, man, plug it in, turn it on. That'll fix half your problems. Yeah. I had to call Connor last week because I got locked out of my email. So, you know, it still happens to the best of us. Um, but Is that what we're calling it these days? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I want to <laughs> pull something on your, your kind of little list there. Um, because I've di- I've done some thinking about this because I I do genuinely enjoy youth ministry, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was, to my knowledge, I was very close to being called as a youth pastor, um, mm-hmm. out of the seminary, and and I was okay with that. I, we had a lot of classmates who were like, I don't want to do youth, and I was like, please, I I would love to. Um, youth tend to. Youth tend to be actually easier to guide than adults, I think, because mm-hmm. they're they don't think they have all the answers. Um, but I I, I, I resist <laughs> that it's not our because to some extent our job is youth just as much as it's adults, right? Because we're we're called just as much to um, mm-hmm. to bring them closer to God, to bring their lives closer in line to where God has them. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and and this might be where you're coming from. Um, I think there's this reality that um, for for the youth program that I think a lot of people envision when they talk about we as a church we do youth. You need a full time per- like the past. If if you're saying well we want you to run the youth program, I'm not pastors should be involved with you. Like I I make an effort uh, to mm-hmm. be at youth nights at least a few nights a month here. Um, I, I have the youth over, I have the young adults over, um, because those relationships are just as important as the adults in the congregation. Um, but for a pastor to run the program, to organize all the events, to, to get all the registrations and and take care of all the paperwork and all that kind of stuff, um, that's a full-time job. And this is something I actually experienced on Vicarage. They had had two DCEs actually. It was a pretty big church. They had two DCEs and the, the DCs took another call. Um, and the, the church, they had kind of decided, we're going to see if we can do this with volunteers. But what kind of ended up happening um, is that really the, the vicar ended up with a lot of those responsibilities. But the reality, and this is something, uh, while I was there, the youth actually, they wrote a letter to the board of elders saying, we feel forgotten. Because the reality is for a youth program, any, any sort of real size, like robust youth program, you need someone who can dedicate pretty much full-time effort to it um, to kind of balance that. So like, even though youth are part of the pastor's responsibility, you have to recognize that the pastor has, like there are only so many hours in a week. So something else and this is an interesting one that i want to add to the list of like responsibilities that we give to the pastor that maybe aren't the pastors or or definitely aren't just the pastors mission Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that's more where my youth and young adult stuff was coming from. Like as, as a pastor at a small church, like as a young guy, the, the assumption for a lot of people, not necessarily accusing my own church of this, but um, I definitely feel like there's some of that sentiment floating around. Um, but there's just this like idea that you bring in a young pastor, that means that young people are going to want to be there. Um, I'm going to do my best, but like. Well, I, I want to walk through a couple of the pieces. I mean, first, when we're yeah, first getting no. here. Go ahead. Here's this reality, right? Um, people don't come to church for a stranger. Mm-hmm. Right. And if, if, so Ben and I just got called to these churches. I've been here six months. Ben's been, been there six, five, six, uh, around the same amount of time. Yeah. I got here. Um, end of June. That is not enough time, especially in the, in the kind of shutdown environment we're living in now to mm-hmm. make friends especially good enough friends that you can bring them to a life change to say, I want you to come to my church. Like that's, <laughs> and, and if you think about like, so when I think about mission, who are people that you have enough, um, enough of an impact on that? If you start talking about, I want you to come to church because I care about you. And because this is important. Um, how many people c- will actually take that seriously? Your family, hopefully, your close friends, and and maybe some trusted coworkers. Okay, for a pastor, presumably their family's already in the church. If their family, there are some other other issues going on. If they're not, um, their coworkers work at the church, if they have any. And, and close friends, like if, if you're a new pastor, you just moved to a place, like you haven't had time to make close friends, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a little bit unrealistic to say, oh, we're going to bring this guy in and we're just going to see tons. Of, he, he's going to bring tons of people in. And it's like, not realistically, right? Um, but kind of a connection to that is, if you were listening earlier to kind of how we define what our responsibility is, mission was not part of that. Now we have a responsibility to mission just as much as every other Christian in that if I have a friend, if I have a family member who's outside the faith, I'm going to witness to them and I'm going to try and bring them into the faith because I would like them to go to heaven with me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in regards to mission, kind of how I view it is the, the, the people in the church, it is, it is largely on them. If, if you're listening to this, it is largely on you because you are the one who has those relationships by which you can impact people. Your friends care what you think about them. Your friends know that you care about them. So when you say, hey, I want you to come to church because I think it's going to be really good for you. Um, they're they're going to take that seriously. Um, and so with all those relationships, and then where I see the pastor come in is it's the pastor's job to once they get there to be, to start building that relationship so that he can then further impact them to be a good preacher so that when they go to the service, they don't want to blow their brains out with boredom. Like, 
I honestly, I view the pastor's role more as retention than it is direct mission, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I think mission is one of those things, especially with young pastors. I think you're hundred percent right. They're like, Oh, we'll bring in the young guy and he'll bring in, you know, the youth and the young adults. And it's like, no, I mean, the only way I guess that would happen if, if there was some sort of celebrity celebrity um, to, to your young preacher, but the, I, we aren't that <laughs> no, I get, I, the only way I can really foresee that happen. I mean, if you have bad theology, you can get to celebrity status pretty quick. If you're a good speaker and you're willing to just say things people want to hear, you can get there or, um, or you may be doing some things you shouldn't be doing at all. So, um, so uh, other roles that pastors are are maybe asked to fill that isn't necessarily in what our calling is. Um, to make everybody happy, I guess. My job isn't to appease you. My job actually more often is probably to challenge you, mm-hmm. which is great for job security, I guess. I was um, listening to a, I was listening to a talk recently on um, another controversial topic. We'll get into it at some point when we have more time. Um, and uh, the the guy giving the talk kind of summed it up as if you take what i'm giving you today that is biblical well-rooted uh theology and you take this back to your congregation you get fired because of it good for you you are you are living out the mission of christ uh you were proclaiming the law accurately and faithfully uh and that gospel message of redemption and grace and mercy in spite of the sinfulness of the world and in spite of your own sin uh is is heaped upon you in in wonderful ways um and then give me a call and i'll find you a job (laughs) like (laughs) um there are definitely instances and congregations where we could say things um that are scriptural that are theologically accurate and probably could still get us fired um well, to be fair, it's a little bit harder in the Lutheran Church. That's true. Like yeah. it's it, for those of you who are listening. Who, well, if you're in our church body or you're not, to get a Lutheran pastor fired, it really, if they haven't committed a felony or slept with someone they shouldn't have, it's pretty like they have to be grossly incompetent. Um, or have have gotten wrapped up in like a congregationally sized conflict. Um, so like there, which which I think is appropriate, right? Because we we need the freedom if we're going to faithfully do our our job, if we're going to faithfully live out our calling, we need the freedom to say things that you don't like. I mean, okay, so we we can I. If you disagree with this statement and you're listening to this podcast, you really need to reach out to one of us because we need to have a heart to heart. But 
everything that this Bible says as far as guiding our lives and, and our actions with each other and our actions before God, no one listening to this is in line with all of that. No one recording this is in line with all of that. That means at some point, if I am faithfully preaching this scripture, it is going to tell you you are wrong and need to change. And I need the freedom to do that without getting fired if I'm going to faithfully proclaim the scripture. So I think that's appropriate. Um, kind of, uh, I want to take us on a little bit of a tangent for this, like this overarching um, theme of like, what is a pastor? This is something that um, that I think is important that some people forget. I've, I, I got to be honest, I've never experienced this personally, which is probably good because I don't know that I would be able to react really well to it. And that is the authority of our office. Mm. Okay. Um, when, when Ben and I and, and the other pastors in, in your life, I suppose, when we are put into this office, when we are ordained, we take a vow, but this office means something. Okay, uh, we are not special. We are people just like you, but the office we have been put into, that means something. And this is actually, uh, so this is something our, our professor encouraged us. He was talking about the theology of the office. And if, if you want notes on that, send one of us a message. We can get you some notes on the theology of the office. I, I got a list of books that I can give you. Um, none of them are particularly fun to read. <laughs> you can go for it if you want. Um, but in this class, he was talking about the theology. What, it, what is the authority of the ministry? And he said, uh, he encouraged us because we were all guys getting ready to go out on our first year. He said, we should be speaking and acting with confidence appropriate to the office. Okay, we're not like in a lot of jobs when you first go in, you're you're kind of timid. You're like, I'm just I'm just here to learn stuff. Like, but he's like, no, because you are educated, you have this authority of the office. So it's in in certain areas, you have the confidence of authority. And and what he and this is something I have heard. He said it doesn't matter if they've been in the congregation longer than you've been alive. Like there there are people who they'll assure you when you first get there. The, the seminary taught you theology, but we'll teach you how to pastor. It's like, yes, there is an element to that because you have to learn your context. You have to learn how to speak to your people. You have to learn how to connect with them. But we, we have to be careful not to discount the reality that we, we come into the office with authority. And frankly, we come into the office with a lot of knowledge that you don't gain from experience. Right. I, I have sitting in front of me on my computer, I probably have 20 pages of notes on what the, 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 the theology of the office of the ministry is. OK, <laughs> that's not something you just pick up because you've been alive for 80 years. You got to work your way through like four or five hundred page books that Beerman quizzes you on the footnotes on. And even then, you're not quite sure what's going on. <laughs> right? So that that is a front because I've, I've heard that a couple of times, like, well, I've been in the congregation longer than you've been alive. And it's like which doesn't apply to me because our congregations only existed for 12 years. So that's convenient. Um, I am older than 12 in case anyone was curious. 
if the beard didn't give it away if you're watching the video. Um, but it is a little frustrating. It's like just because you've been around longer doesn't necessarily mean you have more authority, especially when it comes to subjects that you've specialized in. And this is something this is probably maybe a little sinful, but this is one of the reasons I love the book of Job. Okay, so the, the book of Job, for anyone who's unfamiliar, uh, he, he is suffering. He he is uh, everything is taken away from Job. He's suffering. He's sick. His family all died. His servants all died. His his house burned up. And it's just he's he's having a rough go of things. And he's, he's complaining about it for like 30 chapters. Okay, and he's going back with his two friends who are kind of like, essentially, they're, they're being a bad influence on him. They're telling him either to, to curse God and die, or they're telling him, you know, you must have done something wrong. This wouldn't happen to an innocent person. Like, they're trying to come up with all these justifications and excuses. And finally, I think it's in chapter 39 or chapter 40, somewhere along there, this guy named Elihu uh, speaks up and he says, now, y'all, I let you guys speak first because you are older and I was showing you the respect that you should be due. But y'all are idiots. OK, and essentially <laughs> he goes on. To, he goes on to say something along the lines of we have no position to question God. Like if he allowed these things to happen, it was right that they happened. And um, and I and he's vindicated because then God shows up and Job is or and God says to Job. Dress yourself like a man because I'm about to question you. And God goes on for like ten or three chapters saying, where were you when I created the world? Like, where were you when I laid the foundation? When I let, And he goes on and on and on. And to the driving to the point, you know, you don't question God because God knows what he's doing. Um, but I, I always love that moment with Elihu where he's like, I gave you the respect you were due because you're older. But man, you guys don't know what's going on. And this is something... I, I have respect for the elderly. Okay. I was raised in the South, <laughs> but just because you have white hair does not make you wise. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a frustration that uh, we, we have this authority that comes to the office that sometimes is kind of undercut because we are young, which in some instances is probably justified, but if it's because I made you uncomfortable with the sermon and I was preaching faithful scripture, that's not on me. That was a little bit yeah. of a rant. Sorry about that, Ben. No, that's fine. Uh, we can sum that up just by saying age before beauty uh, does not then cross over to age before theology. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't go well on a bumper sticker. Yeah. We'll, we'll work keep... on it. We'll get back to you. Yeah, I'll keep workshopping that. Um, I think a couple other things that that also kind of bleed into a lot of pastoral work that don't necessarily get thought about are uh, a lot of the administrative things. Um, as pastors, you know, a lot of our, our days are uh, taken up by things like I don't know. I spent two hours yesterday going through the uh, directory of my church, briefly praying for everybody and going, how long has it been since I've seen this person? Um, and just like the, the kind of um, 
not in, on like a you have to have good attendance to get into heaven kind of way, but like if I haven't seen you in a while, I'm going to be a little concerned about you. And right. it's out of a place of love, but like that's a simultaneously a, a ministry related thing that's also an administrative thing that like we kind of have to do. Um, and as I was going through that list, I also realized there were people on the or there were people that weren't on that list that are now members of the congregation because they've transferred in or or joined in the last few months and I need to get a new list. So like that there's stuff like that that goes on and um it just it takes a little bit of time to to kind of work through some of that stuff. Um well and and you have to realize for if you're listening to this that your pastor may be incredibly gifted with administration or with kind of those <laughs> logistical, it's possible. Um, but it's not, uh, it's not necessarily a given. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I guess what I would encourage you is if you have a pastor who does do a lot of that administration stuff, like give, th- give thanks for that because there are pastors out there who aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, because this, like the seminary has us for, for three years and then one year on Vicarage. And like, we mostly study a lot of theology, which is appropriate, but like, you have to keep in mind, we don't have every skill imaginable, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we were to learn business and administration and education, which I honestly think would be the best route for pre-sem, um, <laughs> And, and, you know, and building codes and maintenance, like we would need six degrees, seven degrees, eight degrees before we actually, we would all be 70 before we got into ministry for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Right. So there, there is this reality of, of like recognize, first of all, recognize your pastor has limitations mm-hmm. and recognize that that call we talked about in the beginning, we're called to make sure the gospel is being proclaimed and to help guide people in godly living. That's the core of what we do. Anything we we are capable of doing on top of that, I mean, is is a blessing. Um, And if it's, if, if it's critical for you that your pastor can do certain things, make sure that's an honest part of your call process. Mm -hmm. Like if you expect the pastor to put the bulletin together, together every week, you better make sure that a pastor you might be calling is capable of using Microsoft Word or Publisher or whatever you use for the bulletins, <laughs> right? Like if you think it's that important and it's an important part, not necessarily of the pastoral vocation, but it's part of the pa- the job of pastor at your church. Mm-hmm. Make sure they have those skills before you call them, right? So, because they're not, and, and here's another thing. Um, that we get a little bit of education on at the seminary, but I think a lot of people kind of assume is connected with pastor, but maybe shouldn't be. And that is counselor, Mm. which to some extent we, we are trained as counselors, especially for like, um, I guess more like emergency or one-time situations. Right. So like if you Mm. lose a loved one, we're pretty well equipped to, to walk alongside you in sort of a counseling role with grief um, mm-hmm. or you lose a job or your kids are acting out like uh, uh, an event in life you need to talk to someone about 
we're equipped for that. And, and we are, at least I'm, I'm happy to do that kind of thing. If someone is struggling with something and they say, hey, Josh, do you want to get coffee so I can talk about this? I'll pay for your coffee. I, I would love to do that. Um, but if you're, if you're struggling with something that's more long-term, um, we're not equipped to diagnose. We're not equipped to treat long-term. Um, mm-hmm. We are not, like we have not gone through the school to be full counselors, uh, or at least there are some pastors who do, but Ben and I haven't. Um, so, so like if you're, if you're struggling with depression or anxiety or, or schizophrenia or bipolar, like go through the DSM five, if you're struggling with something, we're happy to be your spiritual counsel and work alongside your counselor, but we're also going to refer you to a Christian counselor who actually has the skill set to support you. I, I usually sum it up as uh, we're well-trained enough to know when we're beyond our depth. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it, we, we can pretty quickly recognize, you know, this thing is, you, you know, it's a spiritual issue. We can work through this with you. Uh, this is a... That is our vocation. That, that is our vocation. Um, this is a, um, you know, kind of maybe surface level marriage issue. We could maybe work through some of this with you. Uh, and kind of go back through some of the things that uh, we're trained to do as premarital counseling or, or early marital counseling. Um, and we can do, you know, some one-off stuff and, and some grief-related stuff, some trauma-related stuff. Um, but then when it starts to, like, impact mental health or um, if we start seeing signs of, like, your personality and your attitudes are changing in this might be a real health condition, not just, you know, a, a spiritual issue or a grief issue. That that's above our pay grade. <laughs> right. And this kind of circles back to you have to recognize we're not equipped to do everything. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, a good guideline we were given is if you can't more or less fix the issue in four to five sessions. It is you need to pass along to a counselor, um, which, which isn't a hard and fast rule. Um, but there's this reality of like if if it's an ongoing thing that you you have to deal with, you really need a professional counselor who's suited to deal with that. Um, but so that's. Uh, yeah, that's a, a little bit of what the office is. I, I think we probably covered a lot more of what it's not. Um, because I, I think when you drill down to what it is, is it's pretty, it's pretty foundational. It's, we're, we're called to proclaim the gospel. We're called to teach the law. Um, and we're, we're called to guide people to follow Christ and make godly decisions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess a related thing on what the pastor is is called to do is the pastor is called to lead, but in a bit of a different way. Um, mm-hmm. One of our primary roles at meetings is to make sure they stay godly, mm-hmm. right? If you if if I'm sitting in a meeting and I this has not happened so far, so I'm really thankful that I haven't had to deal with this. Um, if we're sitting in a meeting and people are starting to get nasty to each other, 
our responsibility at that point is to step in and say, brothers and sisters, we are not called to treat each other this way, no matter what we're talking about. So we need everybody to take a break and pray on this for a minute before we come back together. Um, and this is something I, I gotta, I'm gonna shout them out, I guess. I, I have to give a lot of credit to my head elder, uh, Trevor, because the, the way he runs meetings is, is just, it, it follows this idea of, if you can't reach a consensus on something, you, you come at it differently or you table it, okay? Because, I mean, we're so steeped in this, like, Democratic will vote and the majority wins. But that's not necessarily a great, because if the majority wins, but the minority is, is their faith is going to be really negatively impacted by the decision, maybe sometimes you cave to the minority, right? Our priorities are different. We're, we're not just worried about being right. We're worried about how we come to the decision. We are worried about the impact of the decision. So... I, I have to give a lot of credit credit to my elder because when the elders are making decisions, it's not okay. We're going to vote on this. It's we we have the discussion and then he'll kind of he summarizes and he says, "Have we reached a consensus? Are we all are we all good with this?" Um, and, and we'll go around and if we're not, we have some more discussion on it. And yeah, it makes meetings a, a little less efficient, maybe. Um, but I think it's it's more in line with this. This is how we're called to lead. And this is how pastors are called to step into meetings and lead. We're called to make sure the meeting isn't just a business meeting. It is, it's reflective of the faith that we all presumably share. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm scrolling through my notes. I don't know how much, I mean, we could talk about chain of command with different levels of pastor, but. No, nah, I think, no. I think at this point it's uh, like, I think we can start to kind of wrap up. I mean, as, as I'm sitting here thinking about this, um, you know, a couple of minutes ago, you, you mentioned how like we're, we're trained to do a lot of things um, and, and recognize a lot of things, but we're really like our focus is on a couple of areas. Um, and it, it kind of brings up that old phrase, Jack of all trades. Um, Master of none. Yeah. Which it's side a, note, it's a positive phrase, like the original full phrase. It's something yeah. along the lines of Jack of all trades, master of none is still better than a master of one. Absolutely. That's you, you, you more or less nailed it. Yeah. And, uh, the, the, the point of that being like, we try and do a lot of things and we try to do them well. Um, but when we're outside of our depth on something, you can't necessarily expect us to drag your church forward, right? Um, and I feel like so often in the world today, the the onus is on the pastor to, you know, set the tone for a church, set the the um, personality of a church to uh, be the missionary of the church, to um, know how to strategic plan for the church, to know the community, to know, you know, X, Y, and Z. and Which will happen to a certain extent kind of naturally. Yeah, but we aren't 
we're human. We're not necessarily designed to do everything. And the only way that a pastor's personality creates a, a sense of healthy community in a church is if the church itself responds to that community. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and something I want to I want to pull on from that is you said your church. You don't, don't expect the pastor to do everything for your church. Um, and I think that that way of phrasing is actually really important because the, it is not the pastor's church, which is something like my, and this is something in meetings that I'll, I'll bring up occasionally. It is not my decision. Mm-hmm. I am not the ultimate voice of authority. I have input. I, I would hope that it's worth listening to. But it is not my church. I mean, in reality, if we're going to nail it down, it's not your church either. It's, it's God's church. But like, it, it, it's just as much, we're, we're called to take care of this church, and it's just as much uh, the church of every single member as it is the pastor. Mm-hmm. Now, does the pastor have some valuable input? We talked about that earlier. Yes, we, we have this theological background. We have this authority that comes with our office that we can speak into situations. But ultimately, we are servants of the church. We are not owners. We are not CEOs. We, we are called to serve. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, think, uh, I think that's probably a good good summation of everything we've gone through and maybe a good wrapping up point. Um, Josh, I'll let you think on this a little bit in terms of prayer suggestions. I think um, my, my suggestion would be um, pray on, maybe make a list of the things that you see as expectations of your pastor um, and then pray on them and have God help you discern whether these are healthy expectations of your pastor and whether or not uh, it's something that is truly an expectation you should have of them, or if it's something that you've laid on them as a way for you to do less. Um, Cause I think more than often, more often than not, that that's, that tends to be the way that things go. How about you, Josh? What would you, what would you recommend? I think I would just, um, I would encourage you to pray, pray for your pastor. Um, I, I know, especially if you're a member of one of our con- congregations, we, we, we really do appreciate your prayers because prayer changes things. Um, but also just pray for pastors in general, because it is, it's not an easy time to do this thing, mm-hmm. right? With, with everything going on in the world. And, and you can say that at any time, but um Pray that your pastor has the humility to recognize when they're out of their depth. Pray that your pastor can use their skills to the, the benefit of the church. Um, just pastors need prayer, maybe, maybe more than your average person. So, uh, and, and I guess thanks in advance for the prayers that you send our way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think with that, uh, we're good. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.